good to be back on the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week. Nick and I talk Africa Women's T20 World Cup qualifying and the ACA Africa Cup on the men's side before Nick sits down with Paul Radley to talk ACC men's under-19s. A warm welcome to everyone listening around the world to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Online, wherever you get your podcast, it's a pleasure to be with you once again. Daniel Beswick joined by Nick Skinner. Or should I say Nick Skinner joined by Daniel Beswick, Nick? Uh, thank you so much for uh, holding the fort over the last uh, few months. Uh, how have you been? It's been good listening from a fan's perspective and from afar, uh, keeping things going as well as uh, employing the help of... Uh, a few of the familiar faces at Emerging Cricket, but uh, how have you been, Nick? I'm well, yeah. The, the year's drawing to a close, but, uh, you know, the, the, the winter time, or at least the winter time before Christmas is a, is a very nice time here in, in Denmark and I guess Northern Europe in general. It's, you know, lights and, and Christmas parties and, and people are excited and uh, the, the real winter depression sets in kind of January, February when there's, there's nothing to look forward to. But uh, yeah, it's been good keeping the show ticking over. Nate doing a lot of uh, uh, work with, with beginnings, which is always good. Um, you can hop over there and, and have a look at the beginnings pods that have been released already. Good to hear from US Cricket. So yeah, lot, lots going on in the emerging cricket world. And uh, it was good to support you in, in a time when uh, you know, you, you've had some, some tough uh, family stuff going on. So um, it, it was good to give you a break. Yeah, it's been a uh, an odd uh, four or five months or so, uh, I have to say. But it's been it's been good cricket's been a nice outlet vibe, you know, watching the World Cup even though I had to come home a little bit early from, from India because of everything that, that happened, but um, having that there and, and international cricket, you know, through the emerging lens and through the full member lens has been great in sort of helping us get through and yeah, just to kind of put a point to uh, Nate and beginnings with Armand Patel as well, uh, which has been a great listen. Depending on when some news breaks, we have some news from the USA and the Caribbean in regards to the T20 World Cup. But I think hugely, I think it's crucial that Nate continues his kind of press with with beginnings with USA cricket in the state that it's in. It's very much in an important phase uh, right now. Well, they'll need to leverage the T20 World Cup next year. And I'm not sure what the best way to do that is. We know what their relationship is like with MLC and ACE and other parts of the American cricket sphere. So uh, it's a crucial time for the game in, in that part of the world. But let's get into uh, some cricket that has been played and uh, the women's T20 World Cup qualifier of the Africa region, the Africa regional final. And Uganda capped off an amazing year on both sides, both the men's and women's side of things, having the men qualify for the men's T20 World Cup that we just mentioned in the USA and the Caribbean. But the women also progressing to the global qualifier next year, which is not officially in UAE, but it seems all but confirmed to be in UAE. Them and Zimbabwe qualifying through the Africa Regional Qualifier and completing the 10-team group for that qualifier as well. Two teams will progress to the Women's T20 World Cup from that qualifier as well. Uh, but just looking to the tournament itself in Africa and Zimbabwe did win, uh, I guess, what is essentially a meaningless final given both teams had already qualified. But Zimbabwe capped off that tournament by winning it as well. But to, 
I suppose focus more on the emerging side of things. It's uh, another tick uh, for Uganda and, and their cricket. We know that they've made an unbelievable push in what's been a competitive region for a number of years now. They they looked at, in a little bit of trouble against Tanzania in that semi-final after going undefeated in the group stage. They were held to just 99 and uh, the Tanzanian chase looked very strong in reply, but some clutch bowling and, and, and fielding from the Lady Cranes on home soil was enough to uh, help them progress. And I think, Nick, I, I suppose we'll talk about that semi-final and what Uganda did in what was the great escape, as, as it were. But looking at that Ugandan team, a lot of players stand up uh, for that team. A lot of individual performers is not too reliant on one or two players, unlike maybe some of the other teams uh, at this level. So, when you do have that and you do find yourself in a little bit of trouble, once you all kind of pull in the same direction, you can pull things back just like Uganda did in that semi-final. Yeah, I think, I mean, looking at, at their performances throughout the tournament, they're still a bowling-heavy team. That's something yep. that we've talked about a lot at this level. And, and honestly, that's the biggest difference, I would say, between the teams. Zimbabwe just had a much better batting lineup. So, you know, basically, aside... Uh, Rita Musamali, no one in the Ugandan team got more than 100 runs. You know, she averaged 50. Um, the next best was 17. So, yeah, even in a tournament where they got through to the next round, um, the, the senior batters, you know, Musamali was good. But then, yeah, Stephanie Nampina had one innings, that, that half century. But, uh, yeah, Nakasui, Mbabazi, these are the names you kind of look to to be scoring runs, and, and they really were still struggling. So, yeah, lots to work on. But, I mean, if we're taking the positives, the fact that their bowlers were able to um, you know pull it back in that semifinal against Tanzania, where Tanzania were... They were cruising. They were one for 53, uh, chasing chasing 90. It looked completely in the bag. Um, and then, yeah, pretty brain-dead run out from Saume M. Tay. A good, good bit of fielding from Mbabazi. Uh, and then another run out as well, um, Nima Pius. So, you know, the, the collapse is on when you're getting two run outs in the same over. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know what happened to Tanzania. They, they, you know, they just didn't keep their heads. And and this is the same four teams in this semi-final as it was at the previous event a couple of years ago. Uh, so it's not like Tanzania don't know what to expect. Um, they've, you know, they've come up against Uganda quite a lot in these regional tournaments. You know, they the, the teams know each other very well. Um, but yeah, uh, something something happened. Uh, you know, just a flick of the switch mentally. I don't know. But uh, you know, earlier in that semi-final, it was it was Nampina who. Uh, got them to a defendable total with with a half century. Uh, Rita Musamali, uh, yeah, again, 35, not out. I, I don't know. I mean, the Ugandan batters in that game, I mean, Tanzania kind of just let them get away. So three wickets for five runs, um, the three for six after the end of the power play. You know, if you're scoring six runs in the power play, you're, you're really, <laughs> really behind. But they managed to scrape their way to a defendable total. I, I think even uh, at the halfway mark after 10 overs, they were sort of uh, three for... 20 or 30, you know, so they, they really stepped it up towards the end. Um, Nampina especially was hitting boundaries quite effectively through that kind of mid-off, uh, long-off range, uh, using her feet to get to the spin. So, you know, you, you, you kind of think, where's that been uh, throughout the rest of the tournament? Because they were dragging it across the line a lot and, you know, trying to be playing the big shots when sometimes the smarter play is to, to use your feet and, and place it better. So that's kind of a, an execution thing that they can work on. I think they 
they, even even with their slow start, they left 15 to 20 runs on the field um, just just by trying to slog it when they, they could have been a bit more effective. Yeah, the, the Tanzanian bowling, like especially early, was was very good. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe let it slide a little bit. Uh, Paris Camunia was impossible to get away, and Agnes Quele as well. But yeah, I mean, good good comeback from the Ugandans. They're bowling again. There's that name again, Janet Mbabazi, three wickets. Konsiweko, the the captain, Lorna Anyat, who's who's a new face, and she was uh, she was really effective as well. So they they have they have a lot of talent on the bowling side, and yeah, they they just kind of kept their nerve, and and that you know the one brings two kind of run out situation, uh, basically uh, yeah started the collapse and. Yeah, they've they've been in these semi-final situations and lost before. Uh, they've they've won some some tournaments between now and then. So yeah, I think they're they're getting better as a team. They just do have that big hole at the top of the order with the bat. I suppose it is that pressure or the supposed feeling of pressure that turns chances in, into runouts. And we saw yeah two in the same over, which gives the implication that maybe they did feel like they needed to accelerate a little bit more on the Tanzanian side and it, it as you mentioned this region and particularly for Uganda you know it is still a, a bowling heavy team and a bowling dominated team Tanzania are, are a side who have traveled uh into other regions and, and played teams in in Asia this year too and and looked actually rather strong when they came up against teams from different parts of the world so for them to just sort of roll over in this situation I know they lost Fatima Kabasu early in that chase too who is pivotal for for them it's a name that pops up a lot on the scorecard so it goes to show that yeah as as you mentioned Uganda just holding their nerve and I suppose that the adage that I think Ryan Campbell gave us very early on in the emerging cricket day is that the team who panics last tends to win and yeah and it's Uganda who prevailed there as well uh interested to get your take on Namibia on the other side of the draw here having lost uh convincingly to Zimbabwe in the other semi-final they were obviously second in that group to Uganda which you know pit them uh against the full member of the group and we know that the full member associate dichotomy, it's not so clear cut here in Africa, especially on maybe even the under-19 women's side where we saw Rwanda beat Zimbabwe as a result of playing a lot of cricket through the qualifying process as in comparison to, say, Zimbabwe's under-19 girls who probably didn't get an opportunity to, to play at that level. But on the full member side, it looks as if Zimbabwe are still sort of the yardstick, at least at, at this level, through batting which I suppose is something that the other teams in the area don't quite have yet at this level the likes of Marianne Masonda the captain Mupachkwa uh, Mugari Tirupano in Duraya as well so that sets them apart at this level but I'd have to say that Namibia would have been rather disappointed by their attempt at the semi-final to fall so convincingly short in the end uh, only have one player reach uh, above 20 and, and not have any of their top order really go on with it and outside of uh, Motile there, there wasn't a lot of bowling success to get all to write home about anyway yeah the, I mean in that uh, tournament the the top four run scorers three of them are Zimbabwean so that should probably tell you the difference in quality and you know especially Masonda who was out of that top four Masonda and Tirupano sorry the two with track rates above 120 so the quality in the batting basically set Zimbabwe apart because no one else could put up 150 uh, against Namibia and no one else could chase 150 you know that, that that's just 
beyond teams at this level. So, uh, yes, um, I, I think it's worth kind of pointing to the fact that the sort of core of the Zimbabwean batting is, you know, it's the same names again and again. We're, we're not necessarily getting so many new faces in, in that top order. So that's maybe a cause for concern uh, going forward. But, you know, you, you'd think they'd give themselves a chance in that qualifier. I think... Looking on the bowling side of things, it's maybe not quite as clear-cut um, because, you know, the other teams are able to restrict teams effectively. Um, but, yeah, Precious Marange with 13 wickets was the, the top wicket-taker in, in that tournament. Um, but then the next two wicket-takers were Janet Mbabazi and, and Konti Aweko from Uganda. So that shows that Uganda were able to keep up you know, on the bowling side of things, but yeah, the, the the batting is just the difference. That game, yeah, with Namibia and Zimbabwe, pretty disappointing, honestly, because Namibia have been, you know, they've been looking to be getting better over the last sort of year or two, especially on the batting side of things. Um, we mentioned Wilka Motile last week. Turns out she's not available because she's busy with exams for her studies in nursing. So uh, we're wishing her well in that career path. Uh, but her sister, as you mentioned, uh, Makalea Motile, is a, a very handy find, a left-arm spinner. So they have a lot of right arm spin options but you know she she showed guts bowling that last over against Zimbabwe she ended up uh, with three for 17 off her four overs uh, a very good bowling effort um Namibia did peg them back decently in the second half but yeah just a lot of four balls early you know the top order the better batters were able to cash in Victoria Hamoniela who is normally one of their best bowlers uh, had a shocker went at over 10 and over so you know that doesn't help but yeah, Dirha took a couple of wickets, but she's still a work in progress with the ball. Uh, but she's, you know, handy medium pace uh, for this level. A bit strange, I think, that uh, Sylvia Shehepo didn't get a bowl, and, and she hasn't bowled a whole lot in this tournament. She's one of Namibia's uh, top wicket takers in, in women's T20s. But um, uh, yeah, Namibia, I think, would be disappointed with that performance. Um, but, you know, more so with the bat. There were some good deliveries. Yeah, Marange got green with, a, with an absolute jaffa. Um, and and Sabanda's catch of uh, of Yasmin Khan, but there was some really dumb running. Um, yeah, Shehepo, she just kind of stood halfway down the pitch, watching the ball and like looked at the field to pick it up, and then just strolled back. To, I don't know what she was thinking. So yeah, that doesn't help. Um, and then Adele Fonsale, you know, she hit a couple of sixes and showed why I thought she could be a pretty useful contributor at, at the top of the order. Um, but the first time she did anything in the whole tournament. So, yeah, just a collective terrible failure, really, for Namibia's batting, which was very disappointing because, you you know, they, they, they have improved a lot, especially in that discipline over, you know, over the last year or two. That and they looked as if they arrested some of those demons with the bat actually in the group stage. They were pretty confident in a win over... Nigeria with the bat, you know, unfortunately didn't quite get going later on. Not a whole lot of other storylines from this tournament that we haven't mentioned. Precious Marengo also took a hat-trick in the final, which is probably worth noting as well for Zimbabwe. But maybe just to brush on Rwanda's campaign, we know that uh, Rwanda's women uh, on the under-19 side has seen a lot of success, and we know that the senior team has had relative success as well, hosting Kwabuka, play a lot of cricket. To come through this tournament and actually go home winless, I think is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, They were maybe a little bit unlucky. They lost a game on DLS to Nigeria by just three runs. They were pretty convincingly beaten by Uganda, but you look to that uh, other disappointing performance maybe against Namibia where they fell short chasing uh, 102. Jazila Shimwe top scoring in that low score, but you probably would have hoped from a Rwandan side of things that they might have just maybe gone to the next level here and and really challenge the top two in the group to go home without a win 
in this tournament is, I think, quite disappointing from from their perspective and, and definitely uh, a few questions will, will most likely be asked. Yeah, their women's team is definitely a lot better than their men's team. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the men's side maybe in a minute. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think on the face of it, it's necessarily a, a slight to be losing to Nigeria. Nigeria have got a lot better on, on their women's team recently. Um, True. Nigeria actually beat Uganda at the Kwabuka tournament uh, earlier in the year. So, you know, it, it, it's not to say that Nigeria are completely useless. Uh, although, on the other hand, Rwanda won the whole tournament there. So I think the fact that they didn't win a single game here is certainly a disappointment. They were in with a chance against Namibia. Um, I mean, even Nigeria, they only lost against Namibia by nine runs. So, you know, th- this was a tough group. It was. But yeah, they, you would think they probably should have won at least one game. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it. I mean, their, their bowling was tidy. Their fielding was decent. Regular Rwanda kind of performance. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the batting just wasn't stepping up. Giselle Oshimwe was all right, but Henriette Oshimwe really struggled, and um, the skipper, Marie uh, Bimenyamana, didn't do a whole lot. Malvay Uwazi at the top, the, the wicketkeeper, again, you know, these these are the players that you kind of look to to be steering a chase of a relatively low total against Namibia. And if they'd got over the line there, I mean, the whole group probably would have looked very different, and uh, you, you never know what would have happened. But yeah, disappointing overall. Probably, uh, you know, they just came up against some good opponents. Uh, hopefully, they'll be they'll be bouncing back in their next appearances. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of two ways to look at it, isn't it? On one hand, it's showing the strength of other African cricket, and on, on the other hand, it's showing Rwanda struggling. You make a, a good point, uh, and I'm sure Rwanda will take a lot of lessons out of out of the tournament. And Nigeria, as you mentioned, are, are a team on on the up on on both sides of things as well. We'll talk about the ACA Men's uh, Africa T20 in a second, but just to reiterate, Uganda and Zimbabwe go off to the global qualifier. They'll join Ireland, the Netherlands, Scotland, Sri Lanka, Thailand, UAE, USA, and Vanuatu, who, uh, for obvious reasons, has is close in our hearts anyway uh, with, with Tim uh, helping out, obviously, as team staff and also CEO of Cricket Vanuatu too. So looking forward to that tournament now with uh, every team place taken up and of course those last two spots for the women's t20 world cup in bangladesh being decided via that global qualifier next year let's head to the men's side in rwanda i suppose are a pretty decent segue here because uh, looking at their tournament on the men's side it's actually quite an odd one to talk about as well they came last in the group that also contained uganda they did beat uganda by two runs and we know that the men of the Uganda, the Korea Cranes have had a huge successful year qualifying for the T20 World Cup. Rwanda beat Uganda by two runs at this tournament at Willowmore Park in Benoni, the tournament being held in South Africa. Then going on to lose to Malawi and Mozambique in the same group stage and then not progressing through. Uh, the tournament was eventually won by Uganda convincingly beating Kenya in the final. No Zimbabwe or Namibia at this tournament, but... Nick, yeah, just to, I suppose the introduction point to bring it on to the men's side of things. What do you make of of that tournament? It's it shows that they've got the ability to do it, just not quite maybe the consistency. Just looking at these results at face value. Yeah, it's a it's a funny old tournament. This one, um, the highest ranked team I believe was Uganda. There, no, as you say, no Namibia or, or Zimbabwe or indeed South Africa. It, although it was hosted in South Africa um, for that final, we saw. 
you know, little little contingent of what I assume were expats, Kenyans and Ugandans who happen to live in South Africa, but, you know, not, not many people made the trip to Benoni. Um, so ideally, it probably would have been held at one of the host countries, uh, but, you know, I'm sure there were some logistical reasons for that. They did talk to the, um, the ACA president during the final, and, and he mentioned that they were planning a women's and under-19s version of this tournament, so that's really good, um, especially the under-19s side of things because just having more opportunities for the regional under-19s programs, um, that will be very helpful. The women's, obviously, as well, uh, would would be great, but you know there are also a lot of senior women's uh, cricket tournaments <laughs> happening in Africa, so um, the under-19s is kind of the, the big gap there for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Rwanda, they beat Uganda, and then they lost to Mozambique, uh, and yeah, very very strange um <laughs> i guess the the question for rwanda is whether you know is that just a freak event which happens in cricket sometimes or, or is it something they can sort of point to as as evidence of uh improvement and uh, you know time will tell on that front uh, they they have struggled a bit more in the men's game you know where beating uganda is a lot more of an upset than in the on the women's side of things but yeah i mean interesting tournament on that front Bit of a shame that the top teams in Africa weren't there, but you know, good effort for Uganda. Uh, thrashed Kenya in the final. Shame that Tanzania wasn't around to to come back. Um, Kenya beat Tanzania last year in the final, in a, a very uh, entertaining game. But yeah, I mean, a bit of a interesting little storyline with the Ghana v Sierra Leone. Ah oh, yes. Match. Ghana denied Sierra Leone a place in the semi-finals, um, but we had a, a an obstructing the field and a timed out in the same game. Um, with <laughs> the same the same player involved in both incidents, with a uh, Abbas Gibbler out uh, obstructing the field, he he ran sort of basically into the bowler um, <laughs> when when he hit a straight drive, and uh, you know the bowler was trying to collect the ball, and he sort of gave him a subtle little uh, shove as he ran past, so that uh, the run out was was blocked. So yeah, Abbas Gibbler given out obstructing the field, and then he was the bowler when we also got a timed out. Godfred Bakawayem took way too long to come to the crease, and uh, Abbas Gibbler, you know, I, I guess he just has a, a he has a thing for unusual dismissals, and so he was, uh, you know, <laughs> he, he was appealing for the for the timer. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, that that was a good game. It was just, I mean, it was a good tournament overall. But yeah, disappointing the top teams weren't there. Um, um, and maybe it would have been nice to have, you know, a closer match in the final. But, you know, the other matches, Kenya v Malawi, it got shortened to a, a, a five-over uh, chase for Malawi, and they only fell four runs short on the DLS in the semi-final. So that would have been an upset to, to move through to the final for Malawi. And uh, the third-place playoff was actually a, a pretty entertaining game as well in the end. Uh, Botswana won by three wickets on the very last ball of the innings um, against Malawi. So good effort from them uh, getting to the uh, the third place here. But uh, yeah, I mean, good little tournament. This is one of those uh, uh, events that hopefully uh, as it kind of builds over the next few years, uh, I think this is only the second year it's been run. It can build more of a profile, and and I mean, it'll, obviously it'll probably never match the Asia Cup, you know, for viewership. Uh, but um, you know, if it can approach something along those lines, it'll be very helpful for cricket in the region. Yeah, a couple of faces that we have seen sort of pop up in other parts of the world. Sami Sahail, who's played a bit of minor league cricket, featuring for Malawi again, and I suppose with this tournament having. I suppose a, a trophy up for grabs in the final is more significant than, say, the, the women's qualifier that we saw for the T20 World Cup qualifier on the other side where, 
you know, it's the semifinals that really hold uh, all the significance. It's it's good to see. Yeah, you said the the third place playoff be uh, hotly contested, and then Uganda closing out the tournament as well. So good to see for that. And then yeah, as mentioned, Uganda sort of putting Kenya to the sword, beating them convincingly in the end. Yeah, they posted 186 uh, for eight wickets in their 20 overs, and then bowled Kenya out for 95. So yeah, yeah, 91 run victory. Uh, Robinson Aboya with a half century there. But the impressive thing about uh, Uganda's batting performance was, I mean, they were going from ball one and they didn't stop. Even Simon Sasazi, who's been a bit slow recently in T20s, he hit three fours in a row and then got out straight away. Or So Aboya's 57 was kind of the, the core and just a bunch of guys batted around him and going for a sort of 15 and 20s and, and just you know, hitting sixes uh, throughout the innings and keeping the run rate going. Um, so it was just a good team performance. Uh, with the bat, and then Henry Senyondo with the ball, four for 20. He took three wickets in four balls um, and, and in his second over and almost a hat-trick, but um, the batter, Sheikh, sort of hacked it to cover and it landed just short. And then the exact same thing happened, but cover managed to take the catch the next ball. Um, so, yeah, three wickets in one over and then another, uh, Irfan Karim uh, spooning one to the um, to the man in a, a, a short third. Um, and then, yeah, so four wickets in, I think it was six balls or something, pretty much uh, sealed the deal for for Uganda, totally derailed the middle order for, for Kenya and they never really recovered. Well, it's just this discussion on Uganda's men is just kind of lit the light bulb in my brain by saying, you know, if, if you're rather new to the Emerging Cricket podcast or you're new to associate cricket, get in on Uganda now before the T20 World Cup because... One, they're an unbelievable story and it's been so heartening and, and heartwarming seeing them play at this level and, and ultimately qualify for a T20 World Cup. But I think, too, that the team is full of individual talent and it's a team that, assuming in the T20 format, you get the odd player to stand up here and there, Henry Sinyondo doing it in the final. You know, he's one of several players who have been such a key sort of part of of their campaign we know Amjani's had an unbelievable year with the ball and then chipping in with the bat later down the order uh Reza Ali Shah Roger McCarthy Simon Sasazi Brian Massaba the captain there is just a, a lot of players you can point to and say that they can show up on any given day and again if you're if you're new to kind of emerging cricket and and what we're all about you know get behind the cranes they're a team who are flourishing in in a region that we have already talked about on this podcast let alone several other shows that is just brimming with talent at the moment uh on both the men's and women's side of things so it's 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 a great story and and just yeah just ensure that you you kind of keep listening to the pod and and read up on these guys because you know they could be the success story of the tournament yeah, just on that point, uh, you, you mentioned Ramjani as well. Uh, he's, he's been bowling very well. Um, him and Senyondo, so Alpesh Ramjani and Henry Senyondo are the two top wicket takers in T20Is for men's cricket this year uh, with 55 for Ramjani and 49 for Senyondo, both having played 30 matches. So that, you know, partly that's a function of just playing a lot of cricket, but also it's a it's a function of the fact that they've, they've been very good for Rwanda over this whole time. Uh, you know, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, for example, has played more matches and he's only taken 37 wickets. So it's it's not just that they're playing a whole pile of matches. It's that they're actually being very successful in in um in their appearances for Uganda. And it's um it, it's you know having that strength with the spin stocks uh, has really helped power Uganda's uh, remarkably successful uh, year. 
Wrapping up for now, Nick, uh, one last story uh, I suppose I'll just kind of wrap with is uh, Tom McIntosh of Scotland, the men's international, who did also compete in the Under-19 World Cup for Scotland. He's uh, announced his retirement from professional cricket, which is a big blow for for Scottish cricket and is a county player in the Durham system as well, uh, who's pursuing other opportunities and unfortunately I suppose a, a result of the economy of cricket and it kind of goes to show that you know it's difficult even in the county landscape as well. Good luck to Tom McIntosh. We were hoping for some news regarding the T20 World Cup groups and fixtures but that has not been forthcoming. Uh, in the meantime Nick caught up with Paul Radley in the UAE to discuss the under-19s Asia Cup. Well it's a welcome back to an old friend of the podcast Paul Radley from the UAE's newspaper The National. Uh, Paul has watched some of the matches of the recently completed Under-19s Asia Cup, uh, mostly focusing on the UAE, and they did very well. Welcome in, Paul. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're right. They really did. I, I must say uh, they've had for a quite a while now um, very positive vibes about the age group cricket in the UAE, but I must say they ex- um, they exceeded, I think, even their their highest hopes. They were absolutely brilliant in this tournament. Yeah, it was great to see. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talk about the talent production pipeline in the UAE, the academies and, and various underage programs that they have. Um, uh, you know, we, we talk about that a lot. There's always some exciting new talent coming into the senior team, but I, I don't think anyone expected them to make the final. Just give us a bit of an overview of, of the event and how it was run. Uh, most of the matches were at the academy grounds, uh, but the final was at the Dubai Sports Stadium. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, yeah, the group matches were all staged at the academy where there's two lovely uh, ovals there next to each other. Lovely atmosphere, must be said. There's some well-supported teams, obviously, in this competition, um, chiefly of which, uh, obviously, there's big teams like India and Pakistan, obviously, as we well know, you know, probably the biggest fixture in cricket. It was really interesting to see on the day they were playing each other, the other field had um, Nepal against Afghanistan at exactly the same time. And at no stage until that game finished was the viewership um, more of the India-Pakistan game on the on the ACC's YouTube feed. It was streaming both both games sort of consecutively. And it was all through the day. It was quite a large margin that there were more people watching the Nepal against Afghanistan game. Presumably the majority in Kathmandu, but a lot in uh, Kabul too. So really goes to show that it's not the only show in town, India-Pakistan. Um, and that was lovely. In fact, the tournament itself, very well run, uh, really high standard. Um, yeah, and it was good. And then, like I say, the final was at the stadium. That was terrific too. Must have been about four or 5,000 people watching, mostly supporting Bangladesh, but a nice chunk of supporters um, following the UAE too. So, yeah, it's a real um, triumph, I think, this tournament. Yeah, that's always uh, a question... Um, you know, how many people are going to turn out to watch the UAE play as opposed to their quote-unquote home team? Um, so, yeah, was, was there good support for the UAE throughout or did they kind of jump on the bandwagon uh, when they made the final? Yeah, yeah well, the, yeah, there was a lot for the final. Um, there was quite a few for the... Okay, it was the semi-final where they beat Pakistan. It was quite thrilling. It was a thrilling game. Went to the last over. Obviously, giant killing, probably the biggest win um, that the UAE's ever had at 19s or senior level, I'd say, um, in terms of beating Pakistan. And the, it was sort of building all through the day. Um, usually for these, well, in actual fact, for any UAE team, unfortunately, the main sort of only real hardcore set of fans are usually the parents, maybe a few friends of the players, which is a bit of a pity because um, especially now they've got real 
really got a team to believe in and and really back. Um, but the, so they were all there. But then there are a few other extras there as well. And then as the day sort of progressed, the um, kids started coming in that were having training sessions at the ICC Academy at the same time. And the coaches wouldn't start their training sessions until the game had finished because it was so exciting, which was lovely. So it meant a load of uh, extra kids were coming along to support. And also in the afternoon of virtually all the games, actually, the UA men's senior team were having training sessions, uh, like gym sessions inside at the academy. And they came out every day when those finished and carried on uh, supporting the youngsters, which was terrific to see. And they were getting, because the Pakistan game was so exciting, they were getting really pumped up, <laughs> really pumped up for it, shouting over the picket fence and um, getting very into the game. So it was a really lovely atmosphere. Um, yeah, so it's lovely to see, not something you always see with UA cricket, but hopefully it's the start of something. Yeah, I know that for Ahmed Raza, it is very important to be supporting the next generation, and so I'm sure he was he was very keen to get the guys out there and and watching the match. Um, unfortunately, in the final, they were comprehensively outplayed by Bangladesh. Um, so you know maybe we don't need to talk so much about that. But um, you know that semi final game, Anaf Zal Khan performed with the bat. Ariant Sharma was was classy at the top. Um, some some lovely. Uh, cover drives there. The spin team choking off Pakistan in the middle orders. Good fielding. A couple of uh, sort of a vintage <laughs> Pakistani runouts. And, you know, looking as well at the top of the, the order with the bowling. Um, Ahmed Raymond, I mean, he looks zippy with the new ball, but, um, you know, Ayman Ahmed picked up more wickets throughout the tournament. Yeah, what, what did you make of that Pakistan game? And do you think the fact that they had several guys who had played senior cricket for the UAE was was a contributing factor to to the win? Well, they have got Ayan Afzal Khan, who is an unbelievable cricketer. He's 18. He's played over a year of senior cricket already, 46 senior internationals. And he looks just, I mean, he was player of the match three games in a row in the games that UAE won. Um, just looking at the uh, run charts for the tournament, he was sixth overall out of all the teams. Only Bangladesh and Shri- um, sorry, Bangladesh and Pakistani players were above him in the order. And he, uh, I don't think at any stage came in before number six in the batting order. So he's absolutely brilliant. And obviously his strongest suit is his spin bowling. But he, the way he captained in that game against Pakistan was incredible to watch he's a like I say he's only just turned 18 and he, he's 10 years ahead of his time at least and I'm assuming most of the decisions came from him on the field rather than messages being relayed by Ahmed Raza or Madassa Nazar the, the two coaches and it was just incredible to see how somebody so young could be so astute in terms of juggling his like he kept his quicks back until as late as he possibly could um, and then it was getting so close that they had to bowl at the end. And like you said, Ayman Anwar, Ayman Anwar Khan picked up a lot of his wickets. I'd probably say that Omid Raymond, the other seam bowler, is probably more of a threat in terms of wickets. At the top, he's oh, it's a brilliant spell of seven overs in the final against Bangladesh. Unfortunately, only got one wicket when he probably deserved a lot more. He was fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, his, his, well, his new ball partner, but uh, the death bowler of... Um, 
Ahmed Khan is that's probably why he picks up a lot of the wickets because he bowls the death overs and he bowled absolutely brilliantly, particularly in that game against Pakistan. Um, that I think there's a footage of at least the last ball online. Brilliant, brilliant Yorker that he bowled and he didn't veer from that whatsoever. He's actually fielding really nearby where I was sat in the media area just before, like leading up to the last over. And he knew he was going to need to defend like 11 or 12. It ended up being 12 to win off the last over Pakistan needed. Two wickets remaining, and he was so nervous. <laughs> it was very obvious to see, but he just nailed it. Got three, uh, two wickets in the first three balls he bowled, um, and that was just classy stuff. So, yeah, very promising stuff. Obviously, I think quick bowlers certainly develop a little bit later. So, whether those two can make it through to the senior team anytime soon, I'm not so sure. There's certainly players that will be going straight through, like you said. Iron Khan's already there. Um, Ethan D'Souza, Ethan D'Souza didn't get many runs actually. Just an immaculate field. He makes such a difference in the field. He's also played some senior cricket, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been in the senior team for this this year as well. Top of the order as well. Arian Sharma didn't get so many runs either actually. Um, he's been sort of a, a feature of the senior team. So there's three guys that are already there, and then I think. The next two certainly should be in the reckoning for the senior team from this under 19 team. Drew Parasha, who's a, uh, I think was finished third in the wicket charts for the tournament, off spinner who actually bats as well as he bowls, um, was sort of good in, you know, in a, in a obviously disappointing performance in the final. He at least, um, stood up to be counted with a bat. He's very promising, extremely, um, well-mannered and astute and mature um, so he'd fit in straight away to the senior team if they were to give him a chance and another young guy 18-year-old Tanish well obviously they're all young um, Tanish Shuri looks the business with a bat as well so they've got some yeah a lot of promise who who be you know knocking on the door of the senior team uh, other than those that are already sort of staples of the senior team yeah I mean the the fast bowling stocks is one question that I had because you know that's that's often a question mark for the UAE. You, you look at the senior team and the 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 seamers. You know they they they're workmanlike. You know they they try hard, but there's no one who's really got that cutting edge who's going to run through a team at the top. So I guess if you have guys who are taking wickets with the new ball, that makes a big difference for the senior team. So you know, do you see any of these guys sort of being the being the spearhead? Yeah, all I would say with that is they were very good, Omid Raymond and Omid um, Anwar but they are similar to what the UAE have already got. Obviously, their skill sets are slightly different, but neither of them are that real pace bowler. That would be be the absolute difference for exactly what UAE needs. Probably UAE have only... Well, they certainly haven't had one since Mohamed Naveed got thrown out, and probably he might even have been the only real quick, threatening, very fast bowler that they've ever had, actually. And that's one thing that they really need. Like in this year, they found a, a lovely left arm swing bowler, Mohamed Jawadullah. You know, just randomly, he was an electrician in in Alain, got picked for the ILT uh, <laughs> Twenty. And... You love these stories in UAE cricket, <laughs> the drivers and electricians and whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty lucky to be honest in that that you know players come from arbitrary backgrounds like that. In actual fact, with the strength of age group cricket those stories are becoming less frequent but there are always guys uh, especially it seems to be with quick bowlers guys who come through tape ball cricket um, where obviously you need 
more strength in your shoulders and it's to propel the tape ball or the tennis ball down, you know, down the wicket faster. So it often happens that like that's where Naveed came from. It often happens that quick bowlers do come from that route. And there's a massive, you know, part of the culture in UAE here. It's a ritual of um, people's lives that tape ball cricket is very big. So, you know, there is often that route from there for bowl for quick bowlers, but um, it's becoming less and less in terms of the batters. The batters are coming through age group cricket, which is also very good to see as well. Yeah, just jumping back to the spin stocks. I mean, the UAE is burgeoning with with spinners at the moment, um, which will of course make Ahmad Raza very happy. But uh, one one guy, what did you make of uh, of Hardik Pai? Because I watched I only watched the highlights of the semi final match, but he bowled an absolute jaffa to stump the Pakistani opener uh, Shazab. You know, that was, that was just a lovely piece of spin bowling. How was he throughout the tournament? You're you're right. In that semi-final in particular, he was outstanding. Conditions were slightly helping, which is fine, but you've still got to make the most of it when it does come up. Come up. And he, the good thing about that game in particular was that he stood up when, obviously, there was a lot of pressure on. Um, he couldn't, at no stage, because UAE were defending a small total, at no stage could any of them drop their standards or relent at any stage. And he actually stepped up. I thought that was his best performance in the tournament. And he stepped up when, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they really needed him. So, yeah, yeah, I thought it's very good to see. And he's quite an unusual spinner as well. He's got slightly um, different, like, can move it the other way. Like, I don't know whether he undercuts it or whatever, but, um, yeah, he looks promising. He looks promising. But like you say, they've got the uh, stack of spinners is so vast in this country. Always has been, but it's good to see that they're lads coming through the ranks as well. Now, in fact, I was talking to Ahmed Raza, who you just mentioned. He pointed out a couple of players. Uh, Afghanistan had a guy um, who is literally identical to Majiba Rahman. Obviously, he's got a very idiosyncratic technique, Majiba Rahman, but the, in terms of the way he runs up, um, he does the, I can't really describe it, where his back foot goes behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. He sort of shuffles it, yeah. He also wears number 88, which is Majib's um, shirt number as well. And also there's a guy, Sheikh Parvez from um, Bangladesh, was outstanding for Bangladesh. He's a great find, an off-spinner, who's just like Mahedi Hassan from Bangladesh. And Ahmed Raza, just passing the time of day with him, him on one of the games he goes isn't it amazing how you know like heroes heroes that you see how it works that that filters down and people coffee yeah. them uh, and i said to him well why do you think there's so many left arm spinners in the, in this country <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't having any of that you know what he's like nice and yeah, modest it, but um, <laughs> yeah but there's millions of left arm spinners and um lots of spinners in general so yeah it's good uh, it's just a case of picking the right ones and i think obviously uh ian khan has got the primary spinners um space in the senior squad lockdown for the next however long he wants to be um but there's so many other options as well it's great to see really yeah well uh ahmed raza and and rowan mustafa uh providing plenty of inspiration for for spin bowlers throughout the years for for uae players um but yeah i mean you could definitely do worse than, than modelling your game on Armand Raza. He, he's certainly a class act. Just looking, yeah, you, you mentioned Tanish Suri as well with bat. He hit 70-odd against Sri Lanka in that, well, the, the first upset that sort of got everyone taking notice. And then um, in the semi-final, they, they really pushed on with it. But um, you know, do, do you see him breaking into the senior team as well? Definitely. He looks really classy player. Very good to watch. Um, in actual fact, he... In fact, this is a good sign. In in the game against Bangladesh, in the first game they had in the group, UAE had a chance. They ended up falling, you know, a good distance short, like 70 runs short, I think it was, in the chase. But they 
had a good chance of causing an upset in that game. And Tanishuri was flying at the start of his innings, but gave it away. And it was good to see that he rectified that issue. He reined his game in slightly, like he still played to his strengths, but he reined his game in enough that he made a really dis- decisive sort of impact in the game against Sri Lanka and made sure they got the job done. Um, he's re- he's very, very promising. And they obviously already kn- knew about him before this tournament because for the um, T20 World Cup qualifier in um Katman, uh, sorry, yeah, Mulpani and Kathmandu that they had a couple of months ago. Um, he was part of the extended squad. He wasn't part of the, uh, part of the, you know, named squad for the tournament, but they already wanted him there to sort of experience, um, you know, being part of the senior setup and also a tour in uh, Nepal is obviously brilliant, a great eye-opening experience. So, uh, yeah, they've obviously got a forward plan for him as well. Whether he, whether he comes in for the series against Afghanistan that they've got planned for, you know, a couple of weeks' time, uh, might be a bit soon, but they've definitely got their eye on him. He's a highly promising young batter. Uh, looking across to the other associates involved in the tournament, um, Japan were in the same group as UAE. Uh, UAE, well, thrashed them really, put up three hundred odd, and and then um, restricted them to two hundred and not so many. Um, but Japan, I mean, they they did bat okay against the UAE. Kuji Abe played played very well for a half century. Um, but you know, Japan, they did struggle uh, throughout the the group games. Um, what what did you make of them? They did, yeah, they did struggle. But I think, um, I mean, I don't want to patronise them. Obviously, they they weren't at the same level uh, of the other teams in the competition. But just remember, this competition was extremely high standard. You've got the uh, four test playing nations who are always producing reams and reams of um, very talented players. So obviously, they were of a high standard. UAE went to the final and have got a very fine team and were very well drilled. And um, the other team, Nepal, like UAE aren't going to the World Cup next month because Nepal beat them to it. So this tournament was an extremely high standard. So there's no shame in Japan not matching up to the level when it's their first trip probably to a to a tournament of this standard. And the good thing was that they improved through each game. Like that third game they had, uh, the game you just mentioned, the one against the UAE, um, they have vastly improved. So it just goes to show that they're already learning in that very brief space of time. What's that? Four ga- uh, sorry, three games in five days. And by the third one of them, they were already infinitely better than they were in the first. So that's really promising signs. And yeah, you mentioned Koji Abe's half century. I thought that was excellent. Funnily enough, I was actually, well, annoyingly enough, I had to have a staff meeting in uh, Abu Dhabi that time. So I only got there for <laughs> quite late on. <laughs> and, um, Got there just in time. I nearly got smacked in the when I was walking around the boundary rope. Um, he was being bounced by, I presume it was Omid uh, Omid Remen, the UAE quick, and he was just taking on and playing brilliant pull shots. I assume he spent, if not, he's grown up in Australia. He must have spent a bit of time uh, there because uh, that pull shot that he plays is. Fantastic! It was very, very good, very impressive, and they did. They really put up a show in, their, in that competition, or they put up a fight, I should say, in that game. So that was, I thought, that it was very promising, and I don't want to patronise them because obviously, you know, the results were one-sided against them. But I think they've got a lot to work with. Yeah, Japan's under-19s program is one that uh, we, we've been seeing uh, make some progress recently. I just think they were here, kind of. Uh, as an invited guest, uh, they're, they're not technically in the ACC. I, I assume there's some kind of overtures to them joining. Uh, but, you know, overall, I guess a pretty successful uh, first outing at the ACC or, you know, at, at youth level, um, you know, because as you allude to, 
playing at a higher standard allows them to you know to to get better and you know they re- they really you know in the in the East Asia Pacific region you, you don't have such a high standard so do you see this as kind of a successful model for for teams who are outside the ICC's Asia group to to maybe approach the ACC yeah, it's always difficult. There's a difficult balance in that because obviously they gained a lot from this tournament, but you wouldn't want to be playing it the whole time, I don't think. It's such a difficult balance in that. It's something that all teams uh, like in emerging cricket have faced down the years where you want you want to play better opposition, but slightly better opposition. You don't want to be trying to bridge a massive gap all the time because that can be detrimental to morale and things like that. Um, and it can be self-defeating. So if they can... Playing tournaments like this, but have, make sure that the opposition are not miles ahead of them, and just I think that would help with their progress sort of incrementally. So, uh, yeah, it's a difficult balance in that, but I, I wouldn't put it past them to absolutely nail it because I think um, they're doing great things over there from what I've seen, anyway. And of course, Nepal, uh, the third associate involved in the tournament over in Group A. Uh, they really struggled. Uh, they were playing against India, Pakistan, uh, and Afghanistan in their group. Uh, so, you know, a tough crowd for them. <laughs> you know, they, they did have a couple of the guys uh, who've had some senior experience. Uh, Gulson Jar was in the team. Um, but, yeah, overall, pretty disappointing campaign, you would say. Yeah, especially... But, well, I mean, it's tough for them because they were drawn in a pretty difficult group. Like, there were... There was no... You know, they were not favourites in any of their games. Afghanistan, a very, good, a very good sort of third-place team. And, obviously, then you've got the big two other than that. So, it's pretty tough. But I think probably perhaps how they limply went down to India uh, in the last game might stick in the mind a little bit. But in the previous two games, they had been they had been challenging against, albeit, two very good teams. So, it's just, hopefully, they're... Confidence hasn't been knocked too much ahead of going to the World Cup because they're a better team than they showed or that their results showed. And you've got to remember, they're in the group of death really here for this competition. So, yeah, hopefully they can get it together for the for the World Cup and put up a better show. Like you say, Gulson Jar. Gulson Jar's outstanding. Um, we've seen a lot of him in the senior team and it just looked to cut above everything um, over here. But maybe they're a little bit reliant on him. But they've got a lot of other good players. So hopefully just... Put this tournament down to experience and then reset uh, when it gets to Africa. Yeah, one of the bright spots uh, was the match against Afghanistan where Arjun Kamal hit a, a solid 91. They were bowled out for 188, chasing 260-odd. So, you know, overall uh, a heavy defeat. But, you know, do, do you see him coming through to the senior team for Nepal as well? Because, you know, obviously um, they have rotated through a lot of batters over the last few years, um, they were one of the teams in the uh, ODI League 2 with the most... I, th- I think they had the most uh, players tried in that tournament, or maybe it was the USA. But, you know, having a, a solid batter coming through, uh, that's always helpful for a, a kind of brittle batting lineup that N- Nepal can have. Yeah, I, I would say that he showed um, a lot of character in that innings against Afghanistan. Uh, he sort of propped it, I think, was he last out? So I don't think he quite carried his bat through the innings, but he... Uh, he showed a lot of character. Um, it sounds like it was a big defeat, but it actually felt like they were in the game for a lot of that game. 
and also Jay. In fact, I was noticing on the um, YouTube, like the numbers that I was talking about, the number of viewers earlier on, when Gorse and Jar got out, that was when it dropped, <laughs> and it was almost level with uh, India Pakistan because it felt like that was the chance gone. Uh, but yeah, in terms of, it's good to have a. a obviously, it's always good to have another um, batter coming through the ranks who's of that standard. But just think, Nepal have hit on quite a good opening uh, partnership in the men's uh, in the senior men's t- uh, side at the moment. So I think they're they're sort of uh, settled there. So uh, I don't think he'll be able to find a space there. But, you know, it's always good to have maybe even number three in the in the men's team might be his spot. But, yeah, he did look promising in that game and importantly showed a lot of character, which was good. And we have the ILT20, the International League T20, running into its second season uh, pretty soon here in, in the UAE. Now, currently the rules as they stand are that you are allowed nine overseas players uh, in the 11 and so you know two UAE locals uh, you know looking at the amount of talent that has come through this is just one under 19s team obviously there's the senior team and and you know a lot of other guys who are kind of on the fringes there's a lot of talent in the UAE it, it seems to me that only two locals uh, per team in in a league you know surely they could up that to maybe four locals in, in the teams looking looking at that Wow, Nick, you are preaching to the choir here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, totally agree with you on that. I always thought there should be more. Four, four I think, would be a good number. Uh, like you say, there's enough. There's certainly enough talent here to warrant it, and it would. I think it would speed up the development of the game here. There's, uh, in actual fact, they've slightly altered the rules for this season in that the players that they have to have in their UAE contingent. Um, don't actually have to all be fully qualified for the UAE team as yet. So you've got guys who, um, you know, doing the three-year residency qualification that are still uh, 18 months off qualifying for the national team, but they'll qualify as a UAE player for the sake of the tournament. And there's a lot of guys in that. Uh, who are very talented in actual fact one of the guys who was they had a tournament for it so that all the players could advertise you know what they've got um he ended up being sort of more or less the players you would expect they got they got picked in it but there was one guy who's actually Mohammed Nabi's son so basically to put to come in that um that status of player where you're not actually qualified for the UAE but you you basically have to sign they had to sign something saying my intention is to play for the UAE once I'm qualified to play uh, and Nabi's son interestingly was one of those guys he didn't actually get picked up I think he's only 17 um, Hassan Khan Eskil he's uh, he's a good promising young batter he's very strong looking yeah like I said he didn't get picked up in the end but he's one to watch in the future and it's interesting that he's um, nominated his intention to play for the UAE when obviously he's from Afghan cricket royalty really being Nabi's son yeah but there's lots of other interesting players that are in it there's one Rahul Chopra has been signed I know he's very close to being qualified. If not, he might actually be qualified, ready for the Afghanistan series coming up. There's also Usman Khan, who's we don't really know 100% what's happening with his eligibility, but he's been in the UAE for over three years. He's the guy who scored the fastest uh, PSL century last year for Morton Sultans. Um, he's basically it's complicated with his qualification whether he's fully qualified for the UAE because of the amount of time he spent out of the country and that would only be for playing in the PSL and the BPL which he's played in in the past whether he's had too many days outside the country that he's not been here enough uh, to make him eligible but anyway he's he's sort of on the 
he'll be in the ILT20 anyway, and he's a he's a very good dangerous dangerous batter. So yeah, there's a few interesting players that are in that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems a bit like a a step backwards, really, because you know, as we've alluded to, there's so many uh, good players who are eligible. You know, why why do you need to be broadening the eligibility to you know for for these two slots? It, it, it seems yeah, it seems a bit strange. Especially if like like as you point out, there's only two spots. So why don't you just have them for the guys who are UAE qualified and make an extra spot for these ones in the you know the the development. Yeah. You know, make four spots anyway because that's better. <laughs> um, but. But, um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you on that, yeah. Well, certainly want to watch um, Paul Radley. Thanks, as always, for keeping your eye on cricket in the UAE. And thanks once again for joining the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Always a pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me, mate. Huge thanks again to Paul and, of course, Nick with that chat regarding the Under-19s Asia Cup. That's everything this week in the Emerging World. A huge thanks to all of you in the Emerging Cricket World for listening every week in 2023. Enjoy a prosperous 2024. And if you celebrate Christmas, we hope you enjoy the break with those nearest and dearest. Take care and bye for now.